2: him, leaps into the end
3: zone for a Minnesota touchdown. But this drive has taken a ton of time in a three-possession game. As Cousins flips Caught. Touchdown. Thielen. Third and five. And wow, somehow, way, that is caught by Adam Thielen. I mean, he gets everything. Oh, man. He reaches over P.J. Williams and somehow comes away with it. Football,
2: Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. That's right. It's the Football Hour. Bringing in our buddy Matthew Collar joins us every uh, every day at five o'clock. <laughs> Pretty much every day. to talk football. Uh, Collar, let's start off with a serious topic: the health of Stefan Diggs, who's listed as questionable with a rib injury. Is there there a chance that he does not play, despite reports yesterday from ESPN that he was going to play? But we know that there has been misinformation from the TCO Performance Center of Performance regarding injuries in about the past month.
4: Yeah, I mean, the last two weeks, uh, I think we've seen reports gone wrong. Xavier Rhodes was reported in the morning, Sunday morning last week, that he was going to play and then didn't. And I think uh, Delvin Cook was supposed to be on a pitch count two weeks ago, and then it didn't work out. And a lot of the reason is that these guys go out for the warm-ups, and then they test whatever it is is injured, and then they figure it out. So even if the team does think that a guy could be ready to go, if he goes out and, and tests it out and doesn't feel like it's it's going to be all right, then... Uh, they are not going to be able to play. With Stefan Diggs, uh, that's a tough call. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how serious the injury is or if it was just a precaution to keep him out for those first couple of days. He did finish the game, but I remember pretty well when he got hurt last year, there was a groin injury, he came out in front of us and said, oh, I finished the game, I'm fine, no big deal, and then he missed like two weeks. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, more mystery of injuries at the Performance Center of mm-hmm. Performance, but... You know, I think if I was putting money down, I would guess Stephon Diggs does play in this one.
0: So here's a football-y football question for you. Are you ready for this? Football. So if yes. if you took Stefan Diggs, and I guess we've seen this because he, he he's never played a full season, but if and when you take Stefan Diggs off the field, how much does or would that impact Adam Thielen's performance? Because it's obviously much, much more difficult to cover both of them and, uh, and account for all the other things that could happen on the field. But if you just had Adam Thielen and then Laquan Treadwell and a couple other random guys to account for, how would that negatively impact Adam Thielen's production?
4: So last year when he missed two games, he only caught 10 out of 22 passes that went, uh, Adam Thielen only caught 10 out of 22 wow. that went his way when Stefan Diggs was out, and he failed to clear 100 yards. So, I mean, there's uh, just this, this small sample of what I could pick out for you from last year. Uh, but, you know, I, I would say it's more about – how other teams would be able to strategize against Adam Thielen. I was talking with the wide receivers coach, Daryl Hazel, today about how teams are already rotating safeties into spots where they could try to double-team one or the other one all the time. And my guess would be almost every play, Adam Thielen would be double-covered because they would say, make Laquan Treadwell beat us, Make Aldrick Robinson beat us, and if Delvin Cook isn't in there, you can't even really beat them out of the backfield either. And and I I think it is a big deal. I'm not sure what it. It doesn't say that Adam Thielen isn't one of the best. Sorry for the double negative. Like he is one of the best receivers in the NFL. But what this really is is an all-time great receiving tandem. And I think one without the other is going to be less effective. I I do think of the two, Stephon Diggs would be the one who would be able to be effective without Thielen, more than Thielen without Diggs. But it's it's, it's hard to figure out, right? Uh, Because either one, they're going to try and force you to throw the ball to guys who just really aren't that good. And that's a conversation we had heading into this year is, you know, they signed Kendall Wright and they had to cut him because he was so bad in training camp. It's, it's very hard to add these extra pieces when you have a quarterback making as much money and, and so many players on the defensive side, so you really have to bank on these guys being healthy. And I think the Vikings are desperately hoping that they don't have to find out how teams will face them if one of their guys is down.
2: Your thoughts on Delvin Cook being used on a pitch count on Sunday? Because Courtney had the report, I think it was last week, that he was with the hamstring most logically going to be kept out uh, through this game and then give him the bye week and then play at Chicago. Star Tribune reports today that he actually might come back and uh, play like he did against the Rams with X amount of snaps Do you like that, or are you with me? And I think by the time, uh, Collar, that you get to this point, it makes a lot of sense probably to just give him this week one more week, and then when you come back at Chicago, have him play there and possibly be at full strength.
4: Yeah, Mike Zimmer said today on that that they just play guys when they're ready. Um, But if he's on a pitch count, does that really mean he's ready is the thing that came to my mind. And this Detroit Lions team is – horrendous at stopping the run they're second worst in the nfl i mean they're a bad defense either way but they can't stop anybody in the run game even though they they went out and got damon harrison to play nose tackle that's going to help them to some extent but you're still talking about a team that's been run all over for most of the year latavius murray could probably break out a few explosive runs on his own like he did over the last few weeks and like he did last year against detroit that they found ways to create big plays and uh, that was without delvin cook last year so i i would be thinking more cautiously myself because that final stretch is a nightmare i mean they have to go to new england and then right back out to seattle and that's about as tough as it gets and then you've got all these divisional games coming up you've got you know, the, the two battles with chicago that defense is going to be a uh, really tough for the vikings to run against so I I would lean toward caution here, but at the same time, though, this is actually a really big swing game. If you lose this one, you're talking about really torpedoing your odds for making the playoffs if they lose this game. And and actually, uh, as as bad as it seems for the Detroit Lions, they would be uh, basically even with the Detroit Lions at, at that point. So... Uh, you know, I, I, I could see both sides of this. If they really feel like he can handle X number of snaps because it's more conditioning as opposed to the hamstring, then I think you do it. But if there's a chance he could re-aggravate it, um, then I think you don't.
2: Speaking of that, who is more uptight this week, Salty Zim or, or Salty Matt Patricia? Um, and well, we'll play this. You know,
1: do me a favor, just kind of sit up and just, like, have a little respect for the process. Every day you come in and ask me questions, and you just kind of, like, you know, give me this. But, I mean, just, like, just, just be a little respectful. Just, I'm asking just to be a little respectful in this whole process, okay? So ask me a question professionally, and I'll answer it for Dude, you.
2: Oh, my God. Who's more uptight, the, the guy who, who thinks it's rude to tweet or the guy who wants reporters sitting up in the classroom?
4: Yeah, I mean, for different reasons, Um, I think it's probably Matt Patricia, because Matt Patricia, if this season falls apart like it could for the Lions, then that might be the end of him. He might go out quick. I mean, his, his rope shouldn't be very long when they fired a coach that actually won quite a few games for Matt Patricia to fix the defense. And remember the defensive numbers I just read you? Like, this defense has been horrendous. So... I mean, they are one of the worst in yards per play. The run game, they've allowed 15 touchdowns against and only two picks. They're an awful defense. That's what he was brought here for. So I think Matt Patricia probably. But at the same time, Zimmer knows how big this one is for this team. I mean, you get a win here, and then even though there was a New Orleans loss, you still feel like you're just trucking along. But a loss here, you're all of a sudden – feeling like you're just uh, trying to keep your head above water going into the toughest stretch of the season or, or another really tough stretch of the season where you have to beat some great teams to stay even in the race as opposed to trying to be at the front of the race so uh, i think that there's a case for for both but with mike zimmer i mean this is a guy who's won a heck of a lot of games with not a heck of a lot of stability at quarterback i think he's at, at very least proven that he can be a successful nfl head coach For Matt Patricia to act that way is mind-blowing. I mean, it's like Belichickian without any of the success or anywhere close as a head coach. And as I think we've seen historically, coaches who act like that without anything to back them up as far as credibility, they don't last very long.
0: I think what we're finding here, too, is if Tom Brady is your quarterback and you're just up by 13 points all the time, coordinating defense is a lot easier.
4: (laughs) yeah no i i think so uh and when you look at tom brady it goes like both ways right because when you look at tom brady's defenses uh through his entire career and all the winning he's done i mean he's had top 10 defenses almost every single year under bill belichick so it, it, those two things do play off each other belichick is a great defensive mind when uh he was head coach of the cleveland browns they had good defenses and they just didn't have tom brady and now that, you know then he gets with Tom Brady and a great defensive mind, but you know Belichick, the other thing is he grumbles a lot and he's got some funny one liners because I think he secretly has a really good sense of humor uh, but I, I have never seen him just disrespect a reporter like that i I think um, even though you know that's sort of tied to him, and even I called it Belichickian, but you know in a way, Belichick just won't answer instead of barking back at you over something completely ridiculous so i, I don 't know what. Matt Patricia was thinking with that, but if you're seven games into your head coaching career and you already look like you're losing it at the podium, uh, I don't think that really instills trust in any of the fan base. Yeah.
0: Hey, what can people find from you in written and audio form right now on our website, 1500ESPN.com, caller?
4: Well, we got all sorts of purple podcasting with uh, Sage Rosenfels, Courtney Cronin from the other night. Our our interview with Anthony Harris was good. Uh, Our Tech Mobile story is still up there. If people didn't catch that, I looked at Matt Stafford still being a threat to the Vikings' defense. And then before the game, so Saturday night, people can look for my uh, big article on Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, how they make each other better. Awesome.
0: All right, 1500ESPN.com is the place, and Matthew Collar is the man who writes and talks about football and stays up all night watching YouTube videos about football, too. So much football. All right, Collar, we'll see you uh, this weekend. Bye. Thanks, guys. All right, Matthew Collar from uh, our website. And we're going to catch up with Sage Rosenfels here when we come back shortly. Sage had, we pre-taped this earlier, Sage had some great analysis on Kirk Cousins and also play-calling Judd Solgad. But first time for Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold. Mackie and Judd, it's the football hour, and it's Friday, which means Sage Rosenfels joins us. And you can also find Sage a couple times a week on the Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar on Mondays and Wednesdays. And Sage, you posted a really interesting piece on The Athletic about Kirk Cousins and, uh, and his first half of the season here with the Vikings and... I'm just going to give you the floor here because, I, and just to tee it up, Kirk Cousins, if you just look at the numbers, is putting up some pretty ridiculous numbers. He's on pace for 5,000 yards passing and and career completion percentage high. And Adam Thielen is leading the league in receptions and yardage. Uh, but let's let's dig deeper. What do you see when you've watched Kirk Cousins as a Viking the first couple months here?
3: Well, I think my article is, is sort of about you know let's not just look at statistics. When judging a quarterback, and I think uh, as NFL analysts and media people, you know, that that's the easiest thing to point to, in particular in football, just because it's, I think it's such a complex sport, it's such a team sport uh, that, you know, it's hard to break down what the individual performance is. You know, if Adam Thielen has a great game and, and gets by every wide, uh, every DB and, and every linebacker and runs great routes, but no one throws the ball. No one knows he had a good game, right? So it's sort of the same thing with a quarterback. We love to judge quarterbacks by just their statistics. Uh, and again, if you look at uh, if you look at how Kirk has uh, his, the numbers have always played this year, things look great. I mean, his touchdown interception ratio is like four to one. As you said, he's going to throw for on, on pace for over five thousand yards. Uh, his his QB rating is well over a hundred. Those all sound great, but if you ask any Vikings fan who has really closely watched all these games, you'll say, you know, there's aspects of Kirk Cousins' game which are you know very flawed uh, and and are starting to drive me crazy. You know, uh, you know, occasional turnover or fumble or or bad sack or, or just sort of bad decision, and, and uh, that we shouldn't just look at the statistics to to rate a quarterback. And then on top of it, you know, do we want Kirk Cousins to throw for five thousand yards? Do we want him. Uh, to have to throw the ball and break all these, you know, Vikings records of most yardages, uh, you know, of, over the course of the season, or, or all these things, because you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't think that's a part of Mike Zimmer's sort of overall, uh, uh, you know, game plan or overall philosophy of how to win, you know, football games, how to win the Super Bowl is to have your quarterback throw for tons and tons of yards. My guess is it's you know, it's his philosophy is good defense, uh, run the ball, you know, protect the ball on offense. You know, consistent quarterback play, a uh, very efficient quarterback play, uh, and uh, I don't think throwing for over five thousand yards is really a part of that uh, a, a part of that um, philosophy.
2: So, Sage, let's boil this down to one play in particular from Sunday night's game against the Saints, and that would be the Diggs pick. And take me through that play because, as you pointed out in your piece. Diggs cut that route off, and he's definitely at fault. But when you're talking about the upper upper echelon quarterbacks, I think your point was they don't compound that play probably by throwing that ball. Correct?
3: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, he sort of threw the ball. I mean, that was a really unique play. In that, you know, Stephon Diggs was running a shallow, what they call a shallow crossing route. Uh, those are usually about four to five yards deep, and they have man zone principles. Versus man, you stay on the move. Versus zone. Hook up sort of in the zone, uh, usually on the sort of the other side where the tight end, you know, sort of was about five yards deep. Well, on this play, it was man to man coverage. Uh, and for whatever reason, Stephon Diggs just stopped on the play. I think he saw Kirk Cousins sort of move uh, and decide, I'm going to stop and sort of get, a, get away from my guy in man to man coverage. Well, Cousins at the exact same time throws the football to where Stephon Diggs was going to be. That ball is then returned, you know, for an easy touchdown. You know, by the defense, and and my thought about that was, you know, we we can blame Stephon Diggs for that 100. percent It was definitely Stephon Diggs' fault. He should have stayed on the move. We can also always blame like the left tackle uh, when he gets beat. As to why, say Kirk Cousins, you know, fumbles when uh, you know the left tackle gets beat and the defensive end uh, sacks the quarterback and, and caused the fumble. Can you really blame the quarterback for that? You know, probably not. But if you really look at the elites of the game you know, Rodgers and Brady, and, and we saw Drew Brees, those plays don't seem to happen to them very often. You know, that that little miscommunication or, you know, when somebody else makes a mistake, does the quarterback make it worse? And and I, I think this is sort of the issue with, with Cousins is when a mistake is, when a mistake does occur by somebody else on the offense, a bad route, or the, a, an offensive line missing their block, it does seem like Kirk because he's trying to make the play so badly, and he wants to be a great quarterback so badly, it seems like there are times where he makes that play worse. You know, they call it. Uh, you know, if, if if somebody else makes a makes a mistake, don't make it. they'll make it worse. And it seems like for whatever reason, uh, Cousins does seem to make bad plays even worse on occasion.
0: So I don't. Know, Sage Rosenfels is with us. When I watch him, I think, and this this is sort of a compliment to him, I guess. I think he's maximizing. Almost every ounce of potential that this is sort of—he's—he's—he's he's got, got a big arm, but he's—he's—he's he's, he's been working and massaging his brain with coaching for the last six years to get to a certain point. And I almost feel like he was destined to be a backup and has gone through all of this work to get to the point where he's just a really good starter who's above average, but won't ever be in that Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady category. Or do you? Th- or do you think there's even more if he were to hone in on some things?
3: Well, I, I in some ways I agree with you. I don't think he was destined to be a backup. I think people didn't really realize, you know, how how important his strengths are, and you know, some of his, you know, actually intangibles, and really the tangible of his arm strength, and, and really his accuracy. For the most part, you know, he's got a really strong arm, He's got a really accurate arm. But as far as there was a reason he was a fourth rounder, he's not a great athlete, you know. And, and I think some of the issue is since he's not a great athlete, uh, he's not super fluid. Uh, and it doesn't have great flexibility. Like you, you see, Rodgers make all these throws. You see, Patrick Mahomes make all these throws. That's because they're great athletes. And and, and Kirk just isn't. Uh, and I think sometimes he tries to hang on to a play a little bit too long. Uh, you know, he scrambles out of the pocket. A lot of times, you know, negative things occasionally do happen because he's sort of trying to do a little bit too much. He's he's not a good enough athlete to Do all those you know types of you know sort of athletic plays? You know Tom Brady doesn't even really try to get out of the pocket all that much because he knows you know you know good things don't generally happen when he's scrambling around. I remember uh, Peyton Manning was the same way when I was at the Texans. We used to talk about our defense used to talk about trying to get Peyton Manning out of the pocket because when Peyton is running around. He makes bad decisions. He tries to make throws that he normally you know, isn't used to making. Uh, he tries to make plays that he's not used to making. He's the most comfortable, you know, inside that pocket. And I think that's a sort of a similar situation here with Kirk. Is that when he does get out of the pocket? Not, not I'm, ta- not, I'm not talking about like on a bootleg or a design play. I'm talking about when the when the pocket actually breaks down. Uh, sometimes those you know, sort of catastrophes do happen when he's out of the pocket and probably trying to do a little bit more than physically he is able to do.
2: Sage, in Cousins' case, then, at this point in his career, can these things be fixed? Are, are there things that can, that can be almost coached out of him at this point? Or is it too late to actually have an expectation that when the bullets are flying, he can rectify the, the mistakes that we've been talking about potentially coming up?
3: I think there's a couple of things. One, I, I think NFL players are always learning and always trying to get better, at different things, and always sort of analyzing their game. I, I promise you, Kirk Cousin analyzes his own uh, his own uh, plays, you know, more than anybody. I mean, this guy is very, very hard on himself. Very critical uh, of of you know. I'm sure every you know every step he takes in his drop, where his head is, where his eyes are. Uh, he's he's a, he's a very precise uh, quarterback as far as interpreting his own play. Uh, so I do think over time, yeah, you, you can definitely improve on some things. Uh, but also, I, I think most importantly, I think this team needs to maybe not put him in those positions so much, whether it's the offensive coordinator or whatever. But, you know, I've been trying to sort of push them to run the football more this year. You know, the, bad things happen in third and 10, right? I mean, you're, you're always throwing the football in third and long. Uh, you know, and a lot of bad things happen in those situations. You know, the, the defense, defensive ends, the defensive line knows you're going to pass, which means, you know, they sort of have the advantage at that point over the offensive line. The DBs know you're going to pass. You're know, you throwing the ball, a lot of bad things can happen. You know, a lot of bad things can happen in the pocket, a lot of bad things can happen, you know, after that. Uh, but when it's third and four, third and five, third and six, that's when the defense doesn't know exactly what you're going to do. And uh, I think the, you know, the Vikings are in way too many third longs. They've got to figure out a way to be more in third mediums, third and shorts. I think when, if they're in those situations, I think Kirk Cousins would be a much more effective quarterback. But for whatever reason, they sort of refuse to really stick to the run. Uh, and I, I just really believe that with sort of their sort of overall equation of success, they need to try to run the ball more, even, when, even if it's second and ten. You know, there's nothing wrong with hand the ball off. I think Latavius Murray's had uh, a lot of nice runs this year, and the running backs have had some, you know, Mike Boone's had some nice runs in his limited time. Uh, there have been some good holes up front, but they just sort of have a refusal to stick to the run, and, and sometimes running the ball in second 10 is the best way to go. And, and I know that, you know, for the, for the people that love, you know, high-scoring high offenses and, and quarterbacks that throw for a lot of yards, that sounds boring to them, but th- there's nothing worse than getting the ball in your hands on third and ten third and 12, third and 13. It's, it's sort of a scary place to be, you know, as a quarterback. You just know a lot of, you know, it's hard to make a good play happen. You're probably going to, at the very best, check the ball down. Uh, at the very worst, you're going to get, you know, hit hit in the back of the head and fumble the football. So if they can stay out of those situations, I think it would make Kirk Cousins a much better quarterback, even if his numbers might not be, you know, 5,000 yards and 40
5: touchdowns. Sage, do they... And, and speaking specifically on John Filippo as the offensive coordinator, do should they, if if the running game is going to be sort of a, a secondary thing, at least right now it's kind of seemed like it's just kind of they run when when they feel like they can run instead of really trying to establish it, should they be running more screens? I mean, because we saw Pat Shermer as a coordinator last year really utilize the screen game. Now it helped that you had a guy like Jarek McKinnon who was really good in that aspect, in Dalvin Cook before he got injured. Uh, but do they need to add that, add a little bit more of that to the offense to help Kirk, too?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, let's go back. and watch, I don't know if you guys watched that game last night with the 49ers and, and the Raiders, but you know Kyle Shanahan had a third-string quarterback, an undrafted kid from Southern Miss, this Nick Mullins kid play last night, and he played great. And if you watch that game plan, it was very simple. It was run the ball, it was play action, it was bootleg and it was screens. He uh, threw a lot of screens in that game screens to the tight end. You know, the, the old play action uh, and then you know, the, and then the screens to the tight end when the, when the defense events really trying to rush up field and then boom you pop the tight end, no one's there. Uh, it, the screens are sort of another way of running the football. Uh, it, it hugely helps to pass protection uh, because now defensive linemen have to sort of worry about you know once they beat their offensive linemen shoot now they're just screwing up. now I got to hustle back and and maybe next time I won't won't uh, rush so hard that is one aspect of it, it seems like to me there you know there's a lot of times there you know, it's you know it's second down and, and eight or even second and four and they're in shotgun I'm thinking to myself why are we in shotgun on second and four I feel like we should be running the football. Uh, you know, and or you know maybe some sort of play action with a screen, or, or even these wide receiver screens. It seems like everything is sort of a screen to digs on the outside, uh, and that's pretty much it. And I, I, you know, listen, Latavius Murray is not uh, a scat back in any ways, but he is very savvy, and I, I think he's sort of under underweighted, underappreciated. I think he'd be very very good uh, in the screen game, and I think you know Kyle Rudolph or, or Morgan the tight ends. I think they'd be really good with you know these sort of tight end screens that are they're a little bit different than the wide receiver screens or running back screens, but they're very very effective as well.
0: All right, we got we got like a minute left here, stage, and since we're on the subject of play calling, am I missing something on second and twenty five when you hand off to the fullback? Is that like what is the unless it's just a sneak attack surprise and you hope to gain seven yards on that play? And then you're still in third down and 18. Why would you ever call a run play with a good passing attack and weapons like the Vikings have on second and 25? Help us.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I'm sitting there. I'm, <laughs> I'm on your side of the fence on that one. You know, anytime it's you know really second and 15 or longer, uh, I don't believe there's any way, any really reason to actually just straight run the football. I mean, at the most, you're going to get like six or seven yards, and so you're still going to be in a third long situation. So. You know, that's when I'm, you know, big on the quick game. Uh, you know, a lot of times defenses are playing more coverage there, and you can get easy completions underneath. So the quick game and also the screen game—that's another, you know, chance that if, if you hit it just right and it's blocked well, uh, that you can get some some good yards on those two. So yeah, I mean, I'm all out running the football, but second fifteen plus, second twenty plus—that's the worst time to run the football. Yeah,
0: Sage Rosenfels, we love the analysis, and we'll catch up again next week. See you, sir. Sounds great, guys. Look, looking forward to it. All right, that's Sage, Mackie and Judd, Football Hour, back shortly.
6: Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On
5: 1500 ESPN.
6: Football.
4: Football. Yeah. Football, yeah. 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 Football, yeah. Football. Yeah. Football. Yeah.
2: All
0: right, I haven't heard a couple of these, but just for fun, you guys did a segment on this earlier in the show. Uh, <laughs> coaches were out of their minds this week in football, in the NFL, in college. Let's uh, let's just go through some of the fun clips from the football world this week and react to them. This is Matt Patricia feeling some pressure in Detroit and seeing, I don't know, a slouching reporter at a oh, weekly was- press conference
1: here. Um, well, you know... Do me a favor, just kind of sit up and just like have a little respect for the process. Every day you come in and ask me questions and you just kind of like, you know, give me this. But I mean, just, like, just, just be a little respectful. I'm asking just to be a little respectful in this whole process, okay? So ask me a question professionally and I'll answer it for you.
5: Wow. What would you so do? If, condescending.
2: That, would be, that yeah. would be the equivalent of me basically telling a person to sit up in my hoodie.
5: Actually, oh, I you know see what, what you're saying. Because Patricia wears you know
2: hoodies, yeah. Patricia dresses worse than I do.
0: <laughs> At least you shave once in a while Backwards hat, backwards hat,
2: <laughs> big beard I think sweatpants basically Or wind pants Yeah, he's the sloppiest looking
0: head coach in the history of the NFL Yes, And I don't even care that much Whatever, it's football right. Actually, Bill Belichick is one of the sloppiest looking coaches in the history of the NFL too <laughs> A, he shaves So he looks a little bit less homeless And B, he has a bunch of Super Bowl rings So you can cut the sleeves off any shirt you want If you've got that many rings and that many trips to the Super Bowl uh, I haven't heard th- so this Mike Gundy clip I keep oh, seeing around okay, Twitter. No, I haven't heard this one yet.
6: Okay. Oh, I'd oh. give a rat's ass about Twitter. <laughs> it's a platform for people that are sitting home, trolling an unemployment check, sitting in front of a keyboard
2: <laughs> <laughs> with a mullet. How fantastic is that? The fart sounds and everything.
5: <laughs> uh, when did he become such a character? He had that one rant about seven a, or eight years ago, right? I'm a man. I'm forty. Yeah, it was yeah. eleven years ago now, actually. But he didn't he's have a then. A he's now. fifty now. Yeah,
2: I don't. I don't know that character is necessarily the right word, but he's something.
0: Yeah, I don't know. He just is all of a sudden he's become him and Mike Leach, but he even more so Mike Gundy. He's just become. Does he wear the mullet ironically, or is it no?
5: I think it's just become a thing. Like the last couple of years, he's he's he started wearing it, and they. I think down there they were kind of like, oh, yeah, it's great. He's kind of a thing, and he's just sort of kept it, and he's made it even more like – it's even more like mullet-y, I guess. He dyed his
2: hair now like jet black as well, so it looks really weird. But is
0: he in on the joke, or does he think that it looks Um, good? I
5: I think it's kind of – I think it's just kind of his thing now. He's just like, I'm going to go with this, and this is just – I'm going to do things, I guess. I don't know. It's really weird.
4: I'm going to come in here and tweet this, tweet that, whatever my daughter wanted me to put on the shirt. That is, that's unbelievably rude, but that's okay, I guess. That's what you guys do.
0: So he's ripping, is he ripping Vikings reporters for for tweeting tweeting? during press conferences, but what a great uh,
2: sideways shot though. That's rude, but I guess that's what you guys do.
0: Why is it rude? You're doing your job. You're speaking, and all. we're relaying well, to the okay. public. And
5: it, by the way, he was talking about being rude as he was interrupting Courtney as she was asking him a question. Well, yeah, so there you well, go. That's the irony. And
2: the it. thing, too, though, is is if a coach wants to go down that path, where does it end? They're not exactly—coaches, first of all, lie how much, Right. So, like, if you don't want me to tweet, then tell me the truth and yeah. I won't tweet what about, until we're done.
0: What about the Raiders? That's a normal organization that is doing quite well these days, right?
1: I got a cell phone just like you and everybody else. Right. And I get a lot of phone calls from people that are dying to come and play here. I'm just telling you, they're dying to play for the Raiders. Yeah. And uh, to have salary cap space and to have a chance to talk to the people that you
0: really want to wear the silver and black, the guys you really want to wear the silver and black and represent this team. That's exciting.
2: That, at first, sounds like Frank Caliendo doing John Green. It does. I'm <laughs> just telling play you. Play the
1: start of that again. I'm just telling you. I got a cell phone just like you and everybody else. Right. And I get a lot of phone calls from people that are dying to come and play here. I'm just telling you. They're dying to play for the Raiders. Does <laughs> To
0: have salary, to have space, and to have a chance to talk to the people that you really want to wear the silver and black, the guys you really want, to wear the silver and black and represent this team, that's exciting. <laughs> Dude, I don't know, man. I i know most people it. are off the wagon here, and you said hes you just predicted and write that down, Judd, that he's going to be gone by 2020. Yeah. What if it's that he's just cleaning house the way that he wants, and he has an agreement, that's why it's a 10-year contract, we're going to be bad for a couple of years and bottom this thing out. Part of the issue is, if you get off to a slow start as a coach, it's just immediate fending off. People wanting you fired, so he. That's maybe that's part of it. Hey, we're gonna get bad. I don't want to have to fend off the people wanting me fired. So sign me to a ten year contract that you can't get out of until halfway through it. I I think he's Tibbs. I think he's Tibbs. I'm not ready I, to say that. I think he him. had a
2: way that worked at one time, and I think he he was out of coaching in his case for a long time, and things changed. And I think he's I think he's basically the Tibbs of the National Football
5: League. I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, just because it's so early and. I mean, getting rid of Khalil Mack, like on the surface right now, that looks like an awful decision because he's been so good with the Bears. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's essentially just tearing this whole thing down and going like the Sixers route, where he's just trying to acquire assets and and things, draft picks and everything, to try and build this thing from the ground up. But be careful, because <laughs> if by three year three or four this isn't working, then then the heat's really going to be on.
0: See, if you're talking about football coaches who are like Tom Thibodeau, Greg Williams might be a comparable here. Uh, Greg Williams, who is one of the last men standing over there in Cleveland. That's, there's three three coaching stars, or maybe four if you include the walrus-looking offensive line coach. He's my Two of them got fired, and now Greg Williams is left standing. Well, since
6: I left Buffalo, I've had 11
3: letters sent in to interview for head coaching jobs, and, and all of them behind the scenes I have. And I have, and four of them I didn't even have to show up; just signed the contract and come. But you know, the structure has to be correct, and um, you know, I have my thoughts on how things have to be done. I like things here a lot. Hmm.
0: Was, uh, didn't you have to interview, honey? Huh? You just you just I've signing. got
2: this impression or image in my head of Greg going to the mailbox, coming in and saying, "Honey." The Raiders just sent us something. Oh, look, they're offering me the coaching job. And like I've $3 got million. Dollars. It's great. I've got all these letters coming in.
5: I just. Well, I've I got just, faxes. I just love that he says, well, the, the structure has to be correct. I got it, you know. If I'm going to take a head coaching job, the structure has to be correct. Yeah. So you know what? In the meantime, I'm going to be the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah.
0: You think he's really turned down structure? Five and ten xing his paycheck? A few I lo- times, probably not. I love the fact that the guy who helped orchestrate Bounty
2: Gate was their choice to be the coach now. Like of all the people that you could have gone through that building and picked somebody, you picked the guy who was suspended for a year for orchestrating
0: Bounty Hits. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Maggie and John. Ready! On 1500
5: ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here before we uh, get ready to wrap things up with Mr. Patrick Royce, 394 Eastbound. We still have that crash. Uh, in Minneapolis between Lake Street and Penn Avenue uh, factor in an extra 7 minutes there and also 694 westbound near Fridley uh, between University and East River Road we've got a crash there as well adding a few minutes to your commute there gentlemen Thank you
0: Manny let's wrap with Royce here uh, Pat let's play a soundbite for Pat here all right this is let's say let's say slouchy Pat were sitting in the front row of a press conference okay and you asked a question to a football coach, Matt Patricia, in this oh, example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
6: yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you know, do me a favor, just kind of sit up and just like have a little respect for the process. Every day you come in and ask me questions, and you just kind of like, you know, give me this. But I mean, like, just, just be a little respectful. Just I'm asking, just to be a little respectful in this whole process. Okay. So ask me a question professionally, and I'll answer it for you.
6: How would Pat uh, respond? That was fantastic. The guy's like eighty pounds overweight. Yeah. He looks like he's been living in. He looks like he's been living in uh, Montana with Ted Kaczynski, and he's worried about some guy's posture. Plus, he's <laughs> another idiot that Belich- What you know? Every time one of Belichick's guys gets a job, you know what we find out? What a genius Belichick is. <laughs> these guys are just all along for the ride. You know, It's unbelievable. Every time one of them gets a job, they're a complete failure. This guy's going to be a – maybe because they paid him a lot, he'll be two and done, but he's not going to last more than two years. He doesn't have any idea what the hell he's doing.
2: Plam Gundy. And,
6: and by the way – Clam Gundy, yeah. By the way, do you think that if Detroit had not hired him during the – they hired him during the break, right, before the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah. Right? Uh, yes. Like
6: that, that week, right? That like the 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 Pretty they hired much. them the the week. Yeah, because it, it was so they made a deal with him. You think if they watched that defense in the Super Bowl, they would have actually hired this putts? <laughs> no, you know they, they couldn't wait. Detroit Lions. Do you know that the Detroit Lions in uh, 1966 when they were dividing? Uh, no, when they were getting ready to divide up. The divisions. Uh, I think it was sixty-six because they were going to go to Coastal and and whatever the hell it was. They did. They fought like no. It had to be sixty-seven or eight because the Vikings were getting good. The defense was getting good. They fought like hell to stay out of this division. If they had stayed out of the Vikings division, Bud Grant wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Mike Tice would uh would have been about seven games under 500. He went 8-0 against them. If the Vikings have been in the playoffs what 45% of the time, something like that. They would have been in the playoffs about 20% of the times if they didn't have these clowns in their division. They're the biggest this is the worst franchise in the NFL, not on a yearly basis, but late genera- re- generationally, they're the worst. Uh, I think. Uh, what have they won?
5: Two playoff games since '57, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Well, do you yeah. remember, Pat? What was the What was the Vikings game that you remembered? Uh, with that, you caught me and Reavers off guard, remembering in like '89 or whatever that they had like. What was it sixty yards 60 of offense on
6: Thanksgiving Day? They had. I, I flew. I was back with the Vikings. They let us fly back with them uh, from the Thanksgiving game. So I got. Back, I was back in town like six o'clock in the afternoon. The game lasted about two hours and forty minutes, and the and the, and the Lions had sixty yards against. Uh, Against Dolman and those guys. So
0: You know, uh, here here's to, to your Matt Patricia point too, Pat, or if you would have watched the Super Bowl and then had to make your decision, yeah. you might not have. How about the other thing that happened after the Super Bowl, which is you got your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator. And the Patriots were so hell bent on keeping one of them that they locked the doors after the Super Bowl and paid him a bunch of money Josh McDaniels.
6: Josh McDaniels, yeah, he was gone.
0: Yeah, they said, oh, we're going to, I think we're going to keep you and pay you a bunch more money. Matt Patricia, you can go train wreck the Lions. That's fine.
6: I'll tell you though, one of my five favorite moments in sports was. In Ford Field, early I think it was Ford. I think we were in Ford Field by then. Matt Millen was the remember when Matt Millen was the general manager. Oh yeah, and the uh, you know the, the biggest train wreck ever, and it was near the end, and the Vikings were there. I think it was another Thanksgiving game. I was Jed, you weren't there, right? No, it was a Thanksgiving not. game, and some guy in the stands was holding a sign that said "Fire Millen," and that and the TV cam, but that sign was. You know, just in a little sign. But the TV camera saw it, so the lions told him to go get rid of the sign, you know, to catch the guy. And the guy started running, and they started, the security guards started chasing him all over the building. And then the fans were guarding him and keeping him from getting, and the whole crowd was, like, going nuts yeah. cheering for this guy. That's how stupid they are. The guy had an 8-by-11 sign fire mill, and they turned it into this chaotic scene that was just hysterical as the Vikings were. That was
2: Ticey. Ticey was kicking their ass
6: again. Ticey was eating all that stuff, that's all you got to know.
2: Phil, play, play Patrick Gundy on Twitter. Mike, Gundy.
6: I give a rat's ass about Twitter. What a great platform uh, for people guy. that are sitting home, trawling a done employment check, sitting in front of a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> did he make the part sound? Yeah, twice. Yes, he did. That's twice. the best part about it.
0: He's talking to you, Pat.
6: He's got the bullet now, man, alive. He's got. Yeah, he is. He's. Uh, well, I. Uh, I had a day of leisure today. I watched the Friday Breeders Cup races. So oh. uh, that's. And uh, it was. Uh, those pretty good horses, yeah, but I've never done that before, so uh, <laughs> you got to do something to kill your time. Did you so, put a I, couple did, My uh... problem, I've been sitting here all day contemplating, I needed an 11-inch thought to fill that thing on Sunday, and I don't have one yet, so, uh, the, you know, that page two thing I do, I, I'm trying to trying to come up I've been sitting here trying to think of something
0: Well you know, how can, how said. can we help you is there a, bra- how about a brainstorming how About activity?
2: Derrick Rose I mean Derrick Rose just scored 50 what more could you want Yeah but he might play tonight night and get 3 you know
6: and then uh, you know Jimmy might punch the coach who the hell knows what's going to happen so it's hard to write that one
0: So that would be not that know. would lead to an 11 inch column of some kind I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
6: Yeah, they could. What do you think tonight? One hundred forty-two to one hundred
5: three, something like that. After three quarters, yeah.
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's it just depends upon whether they want Steph to get fifty or not tonight. Yeah, we got to do something about the three pointer boys. That I watched the Bucks and the Celtics for quite a while last night. Bucks at halftime had already made twenty uh, threes. I saw your because, proposal. I mean, I mean the Celtics. Yeah, twenty-six feet. And no corner three. Sorry, when, you, when the arc hits the corner, it's a two pointer. Pat, you how about get rid of it?
5: How about what the other night when Clay Thompson had dropped fifty-two on the Bulls? The Warriors had ninety-two points at halftime. At yeah, halftime, yeah. what is
6: going on? What is going on? Somebody guard somebody. We gotta let them start. Hand, bring back the hand check. Do
0: something. Well, I, I mean, like guys like Steph Curry have just broken the system because they can hit yeah. shots from anywhere, like video game players.
6: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're they're making, you know, 26 feet would be an added two feet that might lower five percentage, but they're making it from 27 feet. So, you know, I I don't know something's got to, but I I don't I don't mind the three, but I want it to be an event, not an event anymore right it's uh, i mean it's there's when not when somebody makes 24 of them like the Celtics did last night or the how many did uh, did he make 16 or something how many did clay thompson make 14 14, 14,
5: 14, 14, 14. yeah in 27 yeah. minutes 27 minutes Hey he Patrick
2: football and yeah. basketball people have never been happier than they are right now because people love this stuff you can't play defense they love that
6: uh, good ratings well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, but then again, maybe I'm outvoted by younger people because there are more of those
0: than there are. It uh, would be maybe, fun so. to see Steph Curry back in the John Havlicek days, though, just stopping yeah, and popping from 30 feet.
6: Well, it would be nice to see him back in the days when he'd shoot like that. He could go up and undercut him and flip him on the floor <laughs> and uh, you know get him, a, get him a concussion and then give him some smelling salts and say, get back out there. On, yeah, whip. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Just a Bill Lambier elbow to the chops and see yeah, what I'd happens. I'd
6: say what is ruining American sports is concussion testing. Yeah. No, I don't mean that. That's a joke. Clip that. Okay. Put it on Twitter. Yep. Royce.
0: Royce. Royce.
2: Toughen people up. <laughs> <laughs> Play with concussions, you wussies. Yes,
0: right. Bye, Pat.
2: We got those little summer and uh, those little
0: salts, you know, the smelling salts. That should be good enough. Snap them right. out of it. Yep. All right. Bye, Pat. Should we just end with that? Yes. Toughen up America. Play with concussions. Vent line on Sunday. See you guys.